Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as physicist, comedian, former angry koala, at Mars One Project, hashtag Mars 100, at ISU Net Staff, hashtag SHSSP16, and hashtag SSP16. Currently touring hashtag Cosmic Nomad globally. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Josh Richards. Thank you very much for having me, Malk. Oh, look, Josh, it's wonderful to have a chance to speak with you. Can I start by asking you in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? <laughs> with great difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. Um, it's, uh, it's usually... It's, it usually depends on the people. I usually get a reasonable mm-hmm. feel on uh, how to introduce myself. Um, I'm here working for the International Space University uh, on their summer course in, Adel- in uh, Israel at the moment. And um, if I introduce myself as a comedian, I get weird looks. Um, so it's usually, <laughs> usually physicist or engineer with these folks. Um, but yeah, usually in the street, I sort of say that I'm a science comedian that uh, was stupid enough to sign up for a one-way mission to Mars. Uh, look, there is about a million things in just that little <laughs> statement to unpack. Um, well, let's start with the most obvious one. Why did you become a comedian? Because uh, I, I had very little self-esteem and decided to destroy it further. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I essentially I worked as a um, studied applied physics originally and then couldn't find much, uh, many job opportunities in that field. Uh, so mm. I started working in the mining industry in, in Western Australia. Um, I'd worked with the Army previously as an explosives engineer, so I decided to kind of uh, apply that even further. And mm. um, basically getting into comedy was a way of uh, dealing with some of the stresses. Um, I started writing about what was going on, what I was angry about, all those sort of things. Um, I crossed paths with an old English teacher uh, from high school who was doing stand-up. Um, yes. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of the pathway in. Uh, I, I met someone else at a, at a science museum um, who was working as a stand-up comic. He suggested uh, giving it a go at a particular uh, room in Perth, uh, Shapiro Tuesdays, and um, here I am eight years later. There's, there surely isn't that many scientists that are doing stand-up, are there? There's not too many. There's a few. Um, there's, there's a surprising number of people who, who have sort of advanced degrees that have then gone into stand-up. But, um, sure. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a rarefied field. I'm intrigued by the motivation to sign up to move to Mars. <laughs> Most people are, to be honest with you. Um, that's a bit of a story in itself. I uh, I'd, I'd been I'd moved to the UK. I went and um, served with the British Commandos for about twelve months, um, mm. and after that, I decided I wanted to stay in the UK, but I wanted to do comedy full time professionally. And so I I stayed in the UK, worked for an artist for a year, again burning and blowing things up, and uh, in amongst that, I was doing stand up fairly regularly. And uh, did the Edinburgh Fringe in 2011. Well, did it in 2009, 2010, and 11. But um, took my first Fringe show in uh, 2011. It was called Apocalypse Now. Uh, essentially about uh, about Doomsday. It was all the various different yeah. theories on science and religion of Doomsday. 
and I wanted to write a show that was a bit more positive um, about us sort of going and exploring the universe. What more more positive than an apocalypse? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sort of thought you know maybe I've got some nicer things to share here, and um, I got sidetracked for a year. I went and uh, performed uh, dressed as a giant koala, playing ukulele and screaming at people. But um, of course, as you do, yeah. Late um, late twenty twelve, just after Edinburgh Fringe, uh, I basically sat down and said I want to write this comedy show about sending people one way to Mars because I knew from my degree that we could get to Mars, but we couldn't get back. And, yeah, um, yeah essentially, I sort of was going to write a show saying, let's just do it. Like, you know, fuck Earth, let's go. Um, <laughs> and uh, in the process of researching, about 10 minutes after I'd typed One Way to Mars into Google, um, I found an organisation planning to do exactly that. Uh, they, they had the stated goal of colonising Mars, um, Applications Gosh. opened, uh, that was September 2012. Applications to be an astronaut for them opened in April 2013. And so I signed up to be a Mars One candidate. And so where does your candidature sit with that now? What's the status? So we had about 200,000 people who, uh, who started the application process, um, registered mm -hmm. for it. Uh, about 4,500 of them finished it. Um, it was quite an extensive <laughs> process. Quitters. Um, yeah, they bailed pretty quickly. Uh, from there, Mars One filtered that group from about 4,500 down to just over 1,000 uh, in very late, the last days of 2013. Uh, from there, we went and had uh, a medical, essentially the same sort of medical that you would do to become a commercial pilot, uh, plus a yep. few extra bits and pieces uh, for what we needed. That cut the group down to about 705. Uh, they didn't tell us anything for about four months, um, and so we lost quite a few people out of frustration. And, uh, yeah, they essentially interviewed about 660 of us uh, with the psychological interview. And from there, they reduced the group down to 100, and there's 100 of us in the running right now. And how, when, when is liftoff, and how many are they intending to send in first mission? So, uh, yeah, the stated goal at this stage, um, and it's been pushed back a few times, um, but the current goal mm. is to be launching the first crew in September 2026. Uh, it takes about 210 days uh, to get to Mars, so about seven months uh, on that particular transit. So we'd be landing yep. in April 2027. Um, it would be two men and two women. So it's just a crew of four and the next crew would be arriving about 26 months after that. So a bit over two years after that. So it is conceivable that if you don't make first cut, you might end up on the second trip. Absolutely. And it, to, for us to even get to that first cut, uh, you're talking about 10 years of training. You're talking about selecting the yeah. group next year, and a lot can happen in nine years. No, happen in nine or 10 years. So uh, it's a long way away. Um, at the moment, I'm just really excited about being part of it. Uh, the opportunity to eat poo potatoes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, even better than if, that, we'll, we'll probably use human waste as uh, radiation shielding to get there. So I'll get to go in a, in a poop spaceship. Great. <laughs> poo in a bag, stick it on the outside, exactly. we'll be good. Exactly. <laughs> I, I just have all these wonderful sci-fi thought moments where, you know, by the time you get to Mars, the radiation that the poo has absorbed has turned it into some kind of weird monster that's yeah. only about six inches high. Yeah, something and they're just something chasing like you around Mars. <laughs> like a, a yeah. miniature version of the, the monster in Dogma. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. 
gosh. At least it's no Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. So I am... Uh, look, that, that in itself is a very serious decision to make. Hey, Earth, it's been fun. I'm moving over there, <laughs> you know, a few million kilometres away. Uh, yeah, it's been... Been an interesting process, to be honest with you. Um, I where, by the way, yeah. no oxygen. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a minor factor. You know, bathed in radiation, living with three other people. You know, um, yeah, it'll be it'll be an experience, I think. <laughs> Gosh, well, the expectation would also be surely that you guys have to populate Mars. So this this often comes up, and it's an interesting discussion. Uh, the the chances of that occurring with the first crew is uh, basically nil. Um, we just don't know what would happen in terms of, um, sure. of a baby developing. Um, it's also pretty, pretty, like classic Elton John song, Mars is like a hell of a place to raise a kid. Um, <laughs> I, I don't like children at the best of times. I can't imagine being stuck inside a, a hostile habitat on the surface of a cold, dead planet with a screaming, mm. wailing, three-month-old kid um, changing nappies. That, sounds, that actually sounds like hell. Um, At what is purported to be 2am in the morning. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> what is time on Mars anyway? But I can't think of anything worse than dealing with a kid uh, and adding, having doing that on another planet is even worse again. Now, I, I talked about this recently with somebody else. We were just sort of, I guess, almost fantasising about the idea of moving to Mars. Uh, in the 100 that have now been selected, there's... I think at least one mother isn't there, a mother of a couple of kids that has made it this far in the selection process. Is that right? Yeah, there's quite a few uh, mums and dads uh, all the way through um, and different people approach that differently. Um, the great thing about That's Mars, a pretty distinct message you're sending to your kids. Uh, it depends on how old they are as well. So we've actually we've um, had people drop out in the past um, mm. because they've, they've actually had to come to terms with the fact that Yes, I, you know, they dream of living on Mars, but what are the implications for that back at home? Um, what I've found over the last three, four years is um, this whole application process has actually brought out more of my personality. It's made me question who I am, and I've really yep. come to terms with the fact that I, I, I actually suit this really well. Um, I, it, my personality fits what they're looking for and my personal situation um, takes that even further which is a hell of a thing to come to terms with <laughs> well, it, it really is what did your family make of this um they they've ad adapted over time so it was a very confronting thing to come to terms with initially um sure and yeah i probably could have told them better than i did i uh <laughs> <laughs> i was living in the uk at the time and um I had a regular sort of phone call that I had with mum each Sunday. Um, I yep. found out on, about Mars One on a Thursday. I'd written a post for my website and scheduled it. Uh, I wrote it on the Saturday and it was scheduled to publish on the Monday. And I was going to talk to mum on the Sunday. And um, something happened and I missed the phone call. So uh, mum found out about it when it automatically published on my website, uh, which didn't go down well at all. Oh. Um, but mum's, mum's now probably... Happy Mother's Day! Mum's <laughs> um, probably now one of my biggest supporters. Not because she wants me to leave the planet, um, but because of all the work that I do visiting schools, um, talking to kids about 
uh, space exploration, um, she can see now that what I'm involved with has given me a real sense of purpose, that I was probably lost yes. for 20 years uh, as to what I wanted to do when I grew up. And now I have a real sense of purpose that um, I get a chance to go and speak to kids and tell them that it doesn't matter which patch of dirt they were born on this planet. Um, if they want to go and explore space, they'll have the opportunity. I put it to you, Josh, that your family probably went, you know what, we thought he was going to die a whole long time ago given he works with explosives. This is, it's just like he blew himself up, but he's blowing himself to another planet. I, I'm very, very lucky to be here. I actually talk about it uh, as part of the show, as part of Cosmic Nomad. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about how lucky I am um, to, to have gotten through some of the stupid things that I've done through the years. <laughs> um, and I kind of, I, I'm not spoiling the show here, but I actually ended up getting a, a tattoo um, just after I turned 30, uh, my very first tattoo. Um, and it was kind of a combination of uh, an old military patch uh, from when I was with the commandos. Um, yep. And, but instead of having the, the symbol in the middle, it's the laurel wreath, but instead of having the, the, the GR symbol in the middle for George's regiment, um, I yep. replaced it with the seven-leaf clover from Futurama. Um, just because I thought, you know what, I'm stupidly lucky to be here. Um, I, there's been so many close calls through the years. Um, this one is obviously harder for mum and dad to come to terms with because it's, it's kind of, it's got a date. Um, there's yeah. possibilities that it won't happen, that it could be delayed. But ultimately, um, if I succeed at what I'm trying to do, um, it's almost like a death in the family. So it's a big thing for all of us to come to terms with. You are the human embodiment of that, you know, uh, you know, bomb disposal unit T-shirt gag. If you see me <laughs> running, try and keep up. Go up, yeah. Uh, I, my dad used to have one of them because uh, he he did a similar sort of job with the army. Oh um, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Runs in the blood, apparently. Um, oh, no, the I, Richard's I never, death wish. <laughs> I never had one, but um, I definitely found them amusing. <laughs> Uh, and, and so when do you, given that, you know, you're saying launch date currently is 10 years out and there's a ton of training to go for whoever makes the primary list and, of course, the secondary backups, at least, least of all, the, you know, the secondary list and those sorts of things, when do you find out who's made the official cut? Uh, so the way they actually announced the, those last four people is quite complex. Um, there's psychological reasons behind it, but... What they're actually trying to do is they're trying to actually form three functional teams, uh, so 12 yep. people all up, who would all be exceptional. They would all be the, the best people to send to Mars. Um, Makes sense. They work together as an amazing group, and so you don't just have a prime crew, but you have two backups. Um, yep. How they announce that prime crew uh, affects... It depends on the psychology. What you might find is the, the prime crew is literally climbing into the capsule and one of the people on board suddenly comes to terms with what they've signed up for, what they're about to do, and they decide to, to pull out. Uh, and they have that opportunity right up until the moment the rocket launches. Uh, they can do yeah. that. Um, the problem is you don't just lose one person. You need to pull no, the that's entire the whole team. team. You need to lose the yeah. entire team. So in terms of the psychology for that, um, you wouldn't necessarily tell the other two teams that they haven't been picked. Um, because there'd be a, a psychological aspect of them being second best. Um, yep. So 
Yeah, they, while they're there as standards, like standby as backup, um, you can't necessarily tell them that there's a backup, um, even though you've... There'll just be so three teams selected three and teams we're working towards... Yep. Wow. And you might not know who's going and, or what's necessarily happening. Um, you might just get a call in the night and all of a sudden you're away. Um, and that's, that's the reality of it, just to try and protect people psychologically from... Um, the idea of being second best or um, give, and still giving them the option to pull out at the last minute if that's what they need to do. Obviously, it sounds like they've put you through the ringer already. I can only imagine what it is they're going to put, you know, the, those final 12 in their teams of four yeah. through because you guys will have to live in each other's back pockets and get used to the idea and, and problem solve all sorts of crazy ideas together. Like, it, it just strikes me as gobsmacking and incredible and dangerous and amazing all at once. <laughs> our, um, our chief medical selector, Dr. Norbert Kraft, uh, has stated several times that uh, what he's going to put us through, uh, that we'll think that Mars is bliss in comparison to what he's doing. <laughs> like actually living on Mars will be a lot easier than what he's got planned for us. And that's the nature of space exploration. You spend thousands and thousands of hours training for every conceivable issue um, so yeah. if it does happen, you know exactly what to do. And if something completely unexpected happens, um, you know the systems so well that you can solve it on the fly. Um, you try and plan for everything that could possibly happen, um, but we've seen some really bizarre things happen in space exploration. So um, that's what it's all about. It's spending literally thousands and thousands of hours working together, running through every conceivable issue. Um, and then hoping, well, not hoping, you always hope for the best and you plan for the worst. Gosh. <laughs> it's, I, I get this reaction reasonably regularly, to be honest with you. I, I talk to people about it, and when they start to really come There's to just so it, much to yeah. it, Josh. <laughs> That's why I've written three comedy shows about it. Um, I'm sure I can oh. write another four, a fourth. Like, <laughs> well, that's right. Just wait till you start the training, kids. Exactly, exactly. Oh man! Well, this this how's, how's your conflict resolution skills in a crisis or an argument? Are you fight or flight? Uh, it depends on the stress level, and that's that's an interesting thing. I one of my jobs here with uh, with ISU with the International Space University is essentially teaching team building, and I deliberately create stressful environments uh, for the for the people that are taking part in those activities to not necessarily for my own entertainment, uh, but it's more to see how they respond. And there's not, a, there's not a right or wrong answer to any of the things that we try and do. Um, it's just about people learning for themselves. So I know that I build up pressure. Um, I know that I know what gets under my skin very quickly. Um, and I do my best to recognise that, hey, not everyone reacts like this. Um, don't take it personally. Um, step back and if you can observe yourself with a bit of objectivity, um, it takes it takes a lot of the power and a lot of the energy out of those conflicts. That's what you reckon. Shut up. <laughs> what do you know? What do I know? Nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it, I I mean, first of all, congratulations. It's huge to have made it as far as you have, and obviously, there's a lot more to come as far as just the Mars One project. But to have all of these other things that you're able to connect into it and, and obviously have involvement in and interest in, it just sounds like 
It's like a super space nerd's dream. It, it is. And I'll be honest with you, um, for a lot of super space nerds, they, um, that, and I say that lovingly for all of them, um, hmm. I, many of them dream of life on Mars. I, this is not something that I dreamt of when I was a kid. I didn't grow up thinking I want to live on Mars. Um, I've looked at this and gone, this is something that's vital to us as a species, and I'm, I, I feel like I've got a lot to offer here and I've applied. Um, for a lot of folks, uh, they, they saw it and they sort of went, this is, this is what I've dreamt of my entire life, and they've had to then come to terms with the fact that, um, that maybe they weren't the right people to have, to have gone further through the program. Um, and the beautiful thing about Mars One is that so many people all over the world have learnt more about themselves through the application process alone. And that goes for astronaut applications everywhere. Um, this program, I've get, gotten to meet so many different astronauts and people who've applied to be astronauts, and all of them have said that the, the process of applying um, helps you learn more about who you are as a person. Yes. It can't, it, it can't but not, right? Like, Blank. the sheer contemplation of getting involved in something that is a one-way ticket. We're not just going to, like, Europe. Yeah, not just popping down the street or going for a flight yeah. to visit, you know, <laughs> visit Auntie Beth in... in You're not moving yeah. to Canada. No. <laughs> it, it, uh, it forces people to ask a lot of questions, and that doesn't just apply to Mars One, that applies to people who apply to be astronauts in the first place. The risks that are involved are extraordinary, and you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Um, what's required from you as a person is, again, extraordinary, it's all-consuming, um, and you have to ask, are you willing to give up friends, family, um, a stable lifestyle, all those sort of things? Um, you have to answer those questions. The ability to go outside without an oxygen helmet on. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I think for me in particular, um, my, my current show is all about uh, leaving everything behind. Um, I, yeah. I, won't, I won't ever own a house. Um, I won't ever own a car. Uh, well, I might own a car just to get around if I'm in a particular place, but I have no attachment to sort of material possessions at all, to be honest with you. I live out of a, a, a reasonably small backpack. Um, I travel carry-on only these days. Um, wow. And that's literally all I own. I have a, yeah, I've got seven shirts. Um, like, that's that's the way I live. And if you're willing to do that, then you're liberated and freed to be able to, to be the person that, that uh, you need to be to do things like this. That's well, it's a great way to look at Necessary way, I'm sure, to look at it. I, I do want to challenge you, though. You say that you'll never own a house, you'll never own a car. For all intents and purposes, assuming you get to Mars, you will technically own a rocket ship. True. This is very true. And in fact, I'll help... Or at least be forced in it. <laughs> I um, Again, another theme of the show is uh, having a bucket list. And I got given a book about 10 years ago called 101 Things to Do Before You Die uh, by Richard Horn. And uh, yes. one of the entries on there is, like, get a tattoo and, um, you know, see, see the Aurora Borealis and get married unusually and all sorts of different things. Um, but one of the entries is build your own home. Um, so if I if I go and you know launch wow. to Mars in my my shit covered spaceship and then land on the surface, I'll have to put the captures together. I'll be there with you know our team of four to install yep. the corridors to connect all the the different habitats up to essentially build our own home on Mars. So I'll get to tick that box off 
uh, when I get to Mars. <laughs> it's your very own habitat for humanity. Exactly, exactly. And it's, it, that's an interesting way to say it because in many ways we're, well, this is about making humanity a dual planet species, um, about being, a, being that kind of port of call, um, that existence of expanding where humans exist and being a, a sort of a beacon in the night sky um, for people to follow. Do you think that in colonising Mars, like what's the end game? Is the end game to just spread the burden of of the human animal that is covering Earth or is it to um, create uh, like an alternate, um, how do I put this, an alternate source of resources or is it to create, uh, uh, you know, an alternate existence that allows... Um, a, a new earth for lack of a better uh, phrase to be to be brought into being so that finally we can have the class wars but make them planet wars <laughs> it's a it's an interesting one um, it's actually a question that I'm, I'm leading a team project here uh, with with ISU with the space University um, looking at how we'll colonize Mars what we know about Mars and the environment and one yeah. of the questions they're asking at the moment is um, you know what what do we want to do when we get there? Who do we want to be as a species when we get there? And it's a really tough question. Um, my thought with it, and I hope that none of my participants hear this uh, so that I don't influence their research, <laughs> um, but my thought with it is that we, we have an opportunity to, to, to take the best um, attributes of us as a species and, and really force them out. as a, Like, we, we have the chance to adapt to evolve to be whatever we need to be to be a dual planet species and um, Carl Sagan uh, talked about how the species that we are today will be a different species when we reach the stars um, we won't be the same we won't be the same species when we get there we'll be changed um, yeah. that's not just metaphoric we'll actually be a different species of animal um, because that's what we need to do to evolve to explore the universe. Uh, we need to evolve and change, and that's that's how all life on this planet has survived uh, through through the millennia. Um, and I hope that that's that's how life throughout the universe has survived if it's out there. Well, it has to be right. Well, can't just be us. That's there's. <laughs> I'll steal again. I steal a line from Carl Sagan again um, from the movie Contact. Um, if it's just us, that's an awful waste of space. Yeah, copy that. Wow. What are you going to miss, Josh? Surely you've contemplated this. Like, you you get to Mars, you can't just nick down the road for a sneaky frozen yoghurt. Um, this comes up all the time, and it's an interesting question. Um, it often confuses people when I answer it, but the big thing for me is I've, I've worked in military environments, I've worked in all sorts of different areas, and I, I adapt to wherever I am. Um, I, I think I'd be heartbroken if I didn't take a ukulele with me um, just, to, sure. just to punish the other three people that come with me. You're just going to say the yeah. other three might really, yeah. really regret yeah, that. I might actually be strangled with the strings, but, you know, I think, <laughs> um, I think being able to play music and being able to kind of be creative is really important to me. Um, I, yeah. I want to say that I would miss my family, and that's, that's true. Um, but at the same time, I've always, we've always had a kind of a, a very exploratory sort of 
family. We've always travelled to different places. We've always wanted to explore the world. Um, and so we, There was no family trip to Mars, though. True, very true. But there was a family trip when I was uh, nine to go and live in, in the Middle East, for instance. Um, I was an army brat as well. We moved around uh, when I was... Of course, big, like, yeah. So my, my concept of home is probably very different from most people. Um, and so rather than miss things, rather than turn around and go, oh, geez, I'm really craving such and such, um, I think if I didn't have bacon or a ukulele on Mars, I might kill someone. But um, oh, yeah. that's, the, that's, that's about it. It's very much about making yourself into whatever you need to be um, to the, and adapting to the environment you're in. Um, so I try not to think about things that I would miss because I can't have them. Sure. It's just better to consider that, well, that's just how it is, right? Yeah. They're very much sort of go, okay, I can't change this situation. Uh, This is the situation I'm in today. And uh, where am I going to go from here? What's next? A life of pragmatism, Josh Richards. (laughs) Indeed. uh, Look, you have an incredible opportunity, right? You have... You know, assuming that you get to, to be in that, you know, the team that gets there first, you could be the most popular music artist on the entire planet of Mars. I, I'm I'm going for um, setting up my own comedy club um, where I can just, you know, <laughs> and I can be on every single night. I don't have to fight with, you know, um, a booking agent or anything like that. They don't have to turn around to me and go, no, yep. no, you're on last week. You can't be on this week again. Um, it can just be the biggest oh, thing on the red planet. Yeah. Stealing, stealing a line from Mark Watney and the Martian. You know, I could just be the best at anything on the planet. <laughs> yes. Great. Great. And at least, you know, when you guys do have downtime on Mars and those sorts of things, you'll have some sites to go and see. Like, you know, the area of complete mess that Watney left all that crap behind <laughs> when he ripped the stuff out of the shuttle. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It'll be, it'll be the most beautiful, desolate, empty desert. Um, and I say that tongue-in-cheek. Uh, yeah. Mars has a, a gorgeous um, starkness to it, and particularly where we're talking about landing, it is fairly desolate. Um, it's deliberately desolate so that we don't contaminate uh, an area that might potentially have uh, evidence of life. So it is almost like landing in the middle of the Sahara Desert, um, where we're Gosh. talking about. But at the same time, um, there's things like sunsets on Mars are blue. Um, because of the way that light's refracted through the atmosphere. Um, Instead of having a red sunset, you have a red sky during the day and then a blue sunset when the sun sets. So um, there's there's a beauty in whatever environment you live in. Oh, cue the music from Star Wars as Luke (laughs) stares at the binary sunset. Exactly. Oh, spectacular. (laughs) Now, we have joked about the movie The Martian and, and you know, uh, Matt Damon's Watney, it, it must have been a very surreal... It's fiction. We, I acknowledge that. You acknowledge that. For everyone that's listening, it's not a real thing. He won't be able to go and see where Mark Watney lived. <laughs> um, in the process that you're in, and to have a movie come out that's dedicated about a dude being accidentally left behind because they thought he was dead, reasonably so... Um, that must have pressed some really weird buttons for you. It was it even more than you probably realise. So, like, there was elements there of, like, yeah, this is the situation. It's basically Robin, Robinson Crusoe on Mars, um, and that's, yeah. that's really cool. Um, I read the book when it was still, uh, like, a very early... It really hadn't blown up the way that it did. Um, yep. Read it fairly early on, read through, and sort of went... 
I've got the same sense of humour as this guy. That's terrifying. Like, as I started... <laughs> you talk about the, the pragmatism. Um, the, it's a little bit scary just how much in common I have with, with the character. Um, and then being able to watch uh, Matt Damon sort of bring that character to life, um, it was scarier again to look at it and sort of go, this is who I am. Like, you look at the other characters that are in the film um, and they all have different personalities and different... But, but like... It's Watney and I, it's weird. It's really quite odd. Um, and I think that probably played a role in uh, having 20th Century Fox get in touch with me uh, late last year and ask me to play Mark Watney for five days in, in Sydney to be locked in a box um, yes. during the DVD release of The Martian. Um, yeah. And I, I played, I pretended to be Mark Watney for five days. Um, and had a ball with it. Um, I hated the people tapping on the glass outside, but the idea oh, of like being able to solve these problems and being locked inside this little box and being able to just use my wits and my resources, um, I loved it. It was I was and not know, having to grow poo potatoes. Well, that that was a benefit. But again, like the <laughs> practicality of it, um, that's what you do. You yeah. you adapt, you evolve to whatever situation you find yourself in, and you problem solve. Um, Watney at heart is a problem solver and. It's, it's something that I love. I love looking at things and going, how can I do this better? Or how can I fix a problem to make life easier? Or how do I get out of this shitty situation? Because I'll die if I don't. Wow. At least you've got an autobiography title out of this, Watney and I. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Definitely different from uh, Withnall and I. But yeah, Watney and I sounds, sounds <laughs> my, kind of, my kind of movie. Gosh. Before I hit you with the last question, Josh, there is, I still have, there is so much to, to I'm sure you've talked it to death, so much to cover in this. Do you mind if, if um, from a humans of Twitter point of view, we keep in touch as you progress through uh, what comes and, and just touch it, have some more conversations about how life is for you at those moments? Absolutely. I'd love that. Um, and I, people ask me all the time, do I get sick of talking about it? Never. Um, because again, I'm. How could you? I'm, I'm, it's Mars. It's, it, that's the thing. Like I'm in my element. Um, not only am I talking about space exploration, I'm talking about problem solving and and dealing with adversity as you go along the pathway. So um, I never ever get sick of it, and I would love to chat to you again. Brilliant. Well, thank you. I'll, so the question: What are you going to achieve in the next twelve months? <laughs> what are we going to achieve in the next? That's that's actually a really tough question. Um, I'm. I'm here in Israel at the moment. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the program runs for the next uh, month or so, and so my, my students will produce their report and uh, we'll see what comes out of that. I'm very excited about what they produce. I fly from here back to Los Angeles, uh, where I had just finished the, the global tour of Cosmic Nomad. Um, yep. I'm meeting up with some other Mars One candidates there. I'm traveling across the US, down to Mexico for the International uh, Astronautical Congress, um, which is the biggest collection of space geeks on the planet um, in late September. Uh, up to Boston for a, a gig, um, over to Ireland, hopefully, to talk about space for World Space Week there. And then... Um, I'll probably be, I'll be coming back to Australia to teach on the next International Space University course in Adelaide uh, that runs each year from uh, early January to February. Look, it doesn't surprise me that there's an International Space University <laughs> course being run in Adelaide because everyone wants to everyone get the hell out, out of there. It's, it's definitely...
especially Mawson Lakes. It's um, it's an interesting place <laughs> to, to host a, a Space University course. It's very well set up for it, but um, yeah, the nightlife in Mawson Lakes leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Hey, Josh. Yeah. Thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today. Please know the things that you've said are very special and you're not only completely crazy, but highly valuable. <laughs> thank you. That's, I, I hear that surprisingly regularly. So thank you. <laughs> Just amazing. Uh, very clearly you are a tweeting person. Are there other social accounts you would want people to know about? Absolutely. So I, I use um, exactly the same username for on Instagram. Um, and yep. you'll see a lot of the same photos on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and at the same time, uh, Josh Richards, uh, space pirate on Facebook, um, uh, is the, uh, is the fact, yeah, again, I, I'll gladly steal Mark Watney's jokes, um, and make them my own. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's the Facebook. I wouldn't call it stealing as much as reappropriation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I also, I write sort of, um, much more substantial posts. Uh, on um, on my website, I'm currently transferring my website, so the new new address is joshrichards.space. Naturally, <laughs> naturally. <laughs> this has been humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at mighty underscore ginge is indeed human. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me.